2: Welcome back to the Hardware Unboxed podcast. We've got an episode talking about the Radeon RX 7900 GRE, some of the things that have come up since the review, talking about just general overview of the GPU market, things that have been happening, whether we're finding it very boring and a bit sick of it at the moment, so we'll talk a bit about that. And then our off-topic chat, very interesting, a lot of talk about games, the current state of games, the games we've been playing, so stay tuned for the boring life section. Let's get into it. All right, Steve, let's jump straight into talking about the Radeon RX 7900 GRE, which is, as I saw from the tone of your review, not a particularly interesting product. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that talking about another GPU would be not especially exciting or interesting? (laughs) How did you find testing this one? Yeah, I almost nodded
0: off during that introduction when you mentioned the GRE. Uh, Uh, Well, technically, yeah, we did review the GRE quite some time ago, but then. Yeah, there's the AIB version, so I guess... Well, it's not even the AIB version, is it really? It's just AMD decided that they'd make it a global product, despite the fact that it was meant to be a Chinese market exclusive, though it was never a Chinese market exclusive either, was it? Because no. it sold in small volumes randomly. It, I'm, I'm not quite sure where in the world. Possibly there was the odd retailer in Europe. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just sort of Southeast Asia. I'm I'm not sure, but we did get... At least one retailer had one PC system, like a full-built system, with the 7900 GRE. Whether we ended up with more systems over the past, whatever it was, year or whatever, don't know. But anyway, obviously, I bought one a long time ago, covered it, and then AMD rang me up on the old telephone and uh, said, guess what? We're releasing the GRE globally. This was like a month ago or whatever, so that review will be coming out in sort of late February. So. Me trying to be smart and think I'd, I'd get ahead of the game because obviously we've we had a lot of new and exciting products to cover in January.
2: <laughs> oh, exciting. <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting because what you've told me privately is very used very different words to that, but sure, we'll go with exciting.
0: I suppose sarcasm for those who are just listening to the audio <laughs> version uh, may not have been conveyed as, as well. It should have. Anyway, yeah, you guys know what happened. I barely remember what happened. It was a bit of a blow, but so I tested. I had been testing the seven hundred GRE up until fairly recently, and dropped it because it was no longer relevant. Then I heard that it was going to be relevant again. So when I was updating all of my data recently, you know, updating games like Starfield and all that sort of stuff, I thought, well, since the GRE is being released in a late Feb, and we're probably going to be pretty busy around that time, I'll update all the data now. So that's what I went and did. And then closer to the deadline, we got AIB cards. Now, I didn't just leave those cards sitting there and not test them. I did throw them in for thermal testing and all that sort of stuff. And I ran a couple of benchmarks just to see where they were relative to the 7900 GRE. I guess you would probably just make the assumption that they'd be a couple of percent faster, because that's certainly the assumption I made, because if you made that assumption with pretty well every single other geforce 40 series 30 series 20 series uh rdna 3 rdna 2 rdna gpu you'd be right on the money right like the the base models pretty much perform like the reference card the oc models generally add four to five percent more performance so pretty safe assumption to make now i did all my thermal testing in a plague tower requiem so i was like you know what, I'll do a bit of benchmarking here to see how this compares to the Jari reference numbers I already have. And I got the exact same numbers. So I was a bit surprised by that. I checked two other games and as luck would have it, they were games where the margins were 4% or less. So I thought, you know what, that's exactly what I expected to find. The reference model is behaving like a reference model. And so I went ahead with my review Um, And I think the mistake maybe I made with the review was not showing all of the data, but I sort of took the RTX 4080 Super approach where I just didn't have it in me. And I probably made the assumption that the viewer wouldn't be super interested in looking at 12 games at 1440p and then 12 games at 4K. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, basically most people have told us who comment they're here for the average results and the predominantly the cost per frame data. So I thought Mm -hmm. rather than waste (laughs) whatever energy I have for this job at this point in time (laughs) and waste the time of the viewer, we would just get to what everyone's coming for, which is the average results and the cost per frame. So we jumped into that. But because the GRE is such an odd animal, and I did try to highlight this with I think half dozen games I looked at, it can be anywhere from like 20 low 20s percent faster than a 7800 xt to like the same performance generally it's a little bit faster but when you you know calculate using the geo mean and get your data in you end up with i think it was six percent at 1440p and five percent at 4k and then 10 percent for ray tracing performance so based on our data it's anywhere from five to ten percent faster on average with a relatively small pool of games but That's sort of how the day one content has to go because just keeping a dozen games up to date constantly is a lot of work.
2: Yeah, and that's because of the interesting configuration of the 7900 GRE. It has, what, 33% more uh, compute units than the 7800 Mm -hmm. XT. So they've gone Mm -hmm. from 3840 shader units to 5120 because they've moved up the GPU die from, was it Navi32 to Navi31, but it's obviously cut down. But then they've... I don't know whether "gimped" is the right word to use for it, but they've certainly reduced the memory bandwidth compared to the 7800 XT, taking that GDDR6 down from 19.5 gigabits per second to 18 gigabits per second on the same 256-bit bus. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. memory bandwidth's a little bit lower, the core configuration's a little bit higher, well, actually significantly higher, and then the power limit is basically the same, 263 watts for the 7800 XT, 260 watts for the 7700. XT, gre Mm -hmm. so that's why you're seeing that sort of interesting discrepancy in performance data i would have thought the games that are more heavy on the core configuration that really would use those extra shader processes the 7900 gre has a big advantage if memory bandwidth is the limiting factor there's no performance advantage or very small performance advantage and then if power becomes a factor as well then it's going to minimize the margins a bit there so Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just sort of a, a brief overview of the 7900 GRE specs, I guess.
0: Yeah, and so the power target's an important thing to note because with the reference model being at the base power target, in a game like A Plague Tale Requiem, and, and there's at least four other games, that it's not really a problem. The, the Probably the limited bandwidth is the primary bottleneck for the GRE rather yeah. than the power, and therefore the overclocked models because uh, they're not memory overclocked, they're just core overclocked, they're of no benefit because they're memory starved. So you, you get this, as, as you were just saying, this weird scenario where sometimes it's a lot faster, other times it's barely any faster, and sometimes it's basically the same. So the games I tested didn't benefit from an improved power target. They The performance was much the same. But through further testing, I found there were games with the Nitro Plus that were 8% uh, faster thereabouts 8 10% faster which is quite a significant improvement it's about twice what we'd expect to see uh, traditionally yeah a few a few different things happened people looked at i suppose reviews from gamers nexus and focused on those 20%ish gains and took that to mean uh that that's sort of the average like you, you can expect mm-hmm. 15 it's 15 to 20% faster which is absolutely not the case tech power up i think they showed best case on average uh, with the nitro plus i think it was 13 percent faster than a base model 7800 xt right. they showed that the nitro plus 7800 xt is about four to five percent faster yep. so if you crudely reduce not exactly our percentages work but you get ballpark basically to the same numbers we're talking about like a six percent to ten percent depending on the quality settings used mm-hmm. so Really, there didn't seem to be anything too wrong with our data, apart from the fact that we were comparing reference to reference, which at fourteen forty p gave the GRE a six percent performance uplift, whereas others seemed largely to be comparing a reference seventy eight hundred XT to a higher power target AIB GRE, which I'm not saying is wrong, but mm-hmm. that gets you more in the sort of eleven percent uplift range, so it almost doubles the margin. Yeah. Now that can be a problem if you're testing say a nitro plus version of the gre and comparing that to a base model 7800 xt because the nitro plus first of all it's an overclocked card but it's going to cost more than the msrp so if you're doing an msrp value analysis based on a model that's not gonna be the msrp it gets quite messy so really Mm -hmm. we've always done reference versus reference reference specification cards versus reference specification cards uh, and we only really look at the oc or over you know anything above that for sort of dedicated aib content which this review look in hindsight probably should have been that really in hindsight the video that i've already released that clears all of this up that's being released tonight but by the time you watch this video you will have hopefully already watched it. Uh really it it shows the reference versus reference, overclock versus overclock, and then whatever mixture of those you would like.
2: Yep. So although I've just had a look at the pricing for the Nitro plus seventy nine hundred G R E and the seventy eight hundred XT, and both of them are about thirty US dollars more than the MSRP. So That's pretty se- good. For a 7800 XT Nitro Plus, you're looking at $530 US. Mm-hmm. For the 7900 GRE Nitro Plus, you're looking at $580 US, though they are out of stock, that particular model. So, right.
0: I, when I last I checked uh, that those cards weren't even listed yet, the GRE variant, so that must have been a relatively new development or recent development.
2: Yeah, it says recently launched, so you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Newegg updates that with all that stuff. Yeah, so I guess if you're talking about comparing like a the Nitro Plus overclock card to like a a base model 7800 XT, then the price difference should be more like eighty dollars US if you're comparing reference versus. I mean, some of these cards, they what they all appear to be overclock models, or a significant number of them are. Mm -hmm. Then potentially you're talking more like five hundred versus five fifty. So. Yeah, it does well, I... cha- it does change the the discussion when you're putting an, a factory OC model into like a cost per frame graph and comparing it to those other models should like it's probably not the best way to put that at the MSRP of the card if the OC models only start at let's say 20 thirty dollars more than the MSRP.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's a bit confusing as well because there will be msrp base models. Uh, Gamers yep. Nexus tested the Pulse, the Sapphire Pulse, so not the Nitro Plus. Mm-hmm. The Pulse should be a base model. It's probably going to be a bit better in terms of performance than the reference model that I tested, though we're talking 2 to 3%. I think the main thing that I'm, I've seen here, the main takeaway here, is that people have looked at the outliers, the sort of best-case scenarios, uh, and sort of taken that to mean that that's basically what it is. It's its 15% faster, it's 20% faster, and that is absolutely not the case, even for a model like the Nitro Plus. Uh, yep. e- even in my testing, the Nitro Plus still had instances where it was barely faster than a stock 7800 XT. So if you take a big enough sample of games, uh, which Tech Power Up did, uh, they found it was 13% faster on average compared to a stock model, or about yep. eight to nine percent faster OC versus OC. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which again, based on what you've just shown, that would be the valid comparison, which is eight percent. So the GRE is eight percent faster based on my updated data and Tech Power Ups data. So, because yep. if you're going to pay a premium for the Nitro Plus, you have to compare that to the premium 7800 XT. So it's a bit, a little bit messier than what we've seen historically, but at the same time, it's kind of one of these nothing burgers where we're talking about single digit percentages, which really don't change the conclusion. And I have to say, I've and I'm not talking about Gamers Nexus or Tech Power because, you know I just cited those two, so I don't want to name any names or whatever, but I did look at a lot of the reviews and I was surprised by how positive some of the reviews were. I mean, it's not, look, it's not a bad product. I'm not saying it's terrible. It's not. Not yeah. an awful product. It's just like it's not a product to get excited about. It, it, I guess yeah, it's that's my right.
2: take. It's kind of the goes back to the data as well. When you're you're talking about is it six percent fast or is it eight percent or is it ten or eleven or fifteen percent? <laughs> it's like, is this really what the GPU market has come to that people are discussing <laughs> two or three percent percentage point differences between <laughs> between different products like. It used to be the case where products you get excited about if they were twenty or thirty percent faster. Now, now this is what we're talking about. Like, it's not a big deal. It doesn't make well, that much of a difference whether it's six percent or eleven percent faster. It's an unexciting, boring product, in my opinion. Which again, you've just talked about the other reviews. Those, those reviews, the the positivity of it was I, I found a little surprising as well. Looking at a product being about ten percent better than a seventy-eight hundred XT for about ten percent more. That's not a product that I personally would get all that interested about. It's like, okay, they've just released the same sort of thing again.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, you can argue that they're of the same generation, the same architecture. Yep. So you can't expect 30% more. It's not a generational improvement. But at the same time, it's like kind of why. It's it's $50 yep. more. As you say, It's it's... <laughs> Let, let's split it. Let's just agree that it's about ten percent faster and it costs ten percent more, but has the same amount of VRAM. But it has just weird performance characteristics. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a bad product. Um, if you were in the market for something around that mark, then yeah, sure, maybe. Um, you know, you'd have to toss up between that and the the GeForce competition. It's just, yeah, it, it's not. It's not a product you're overly negative about or really negative at all. It's not really a product that you're overly positive about. Um, It's just, yeah. And I guess if you're excited about the GRE, then your review for the 7800 XT should have been highly positive. And then your review of the 6800 XT should have been really positive. Yeah, kind of a weird sort of progression there of where the reviews
2: have headed. Even comparing it to NVIDIA GPUs, it's not, it's like we can make the comparison the 7800 XT and go, okay, it's. It's the same generation. It provides about the same cost per frame. Makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? Mm -hmm. But if you compare it to like the RTX 4070, which is the same price, it's what, like a little bit faster in rasterization performance and a little bit slower for ray tracing performance, which is nothing unusual and nothing we haven't seen before from uh, the RDNA 3 generation. That's what we've gotten across a lot of, especially the mid-range type of products, AMD is typically offering at the same price a little bit more if you're purely focused on rasterization and a little bit less if you're purely focused on ray tracing. So, and again, the 7800 XT is in exactly the same position. It's like comparisons on cost per frame come to basically the same conclusion Mm -hmm. as you would see for the 7900 GRE. So again, like, as you say, that should have, how you thought about the other RDNA3 products is basically exactly how you would think about the 7900 GRE. If you think RDNA3 has been an awesome generation, providing great value for gamers, and they're definitely worth buying, then the 7900 GRE is basically, if you've got $550 US instead of $500 to spend, then the 7900 GRE is roughly the same sort of cost per frame. So you would just spend the extra money, I guess. But if you thought that rdna 3 was a disappointment, then this product is a disappointment if you thought it's average or, you know, not that exciting. It's not really not that exciting. So yeah, it's, it's certainly been interesting to see the the reception from people and and the comments as well from people you know, obviously picking up on your lack of enthusiasm about the product. But then, as you say, I've been making points about outliers. Oh, it could be 20% faster and things like that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting from a benchmarking perspective to see, you know, when it's memory starved or when it's power starved and mm-hmm. the the benefits you can get from overclocking. And again, as, as we talk right now, the information here could be outdated amd actually told me because i inquired about why the memory overclocking is so ridiculously locked down on that particular product that could really benefit from memory overclocking yeah and they took basically i had quite a few questions for amd about this product and none of them were answered until after the reviews went live so that's a bit disappointing admittedly i did ask them on the weekend so they sort of had one business day to do that but anyway whatever um, I mean, they chose to release at that time, right? So I had to work all weekend on it, but I didn't get the answers. Um, anyway, they got back to me uh, the day after the reviews went live and said it's actually a bug, the limited overclocking headroom on the GRE, and they will be addressing that. So whether or not that's been done by the time people listen mm-hmm. to this, uh, I, I don't know, um, but I don't believe it's been addressed just yet. So that if we get some really nice overclocking headroom on the GRE, that memory can be pushed Much higher or a bit higher without compromising stability, then that could make the GRE a pretty great product for enthusiasts. But yeah, with a 3% overclock, it was just another thing. It's like, well, it's hard to get excited about this with, you know, it's it's pretty limited on memory bandwidth and you can't even do anything about that if you'd like to with a bit of overclocking.
2: Yeah, I think AMD could have avoided that situation though by just not gimping it out of the box. Like Mm -hmm. this product could have been a lot better considering the silicon that they were offering, like the core configuration, it's genuinely a very significant core increase over the 7800 XT. It gets pretty Mm -hmm. close to the 7900 XT in terms of its core configuration. But then what do they do? They go and instead of putting even the 19.5 gigabits per second memory of the 7800 XT, they for some reason give you 18 gigabits per second memory. Why isn't this a 19.5 gigabits per second GPU? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me maybe the bin that they've gone with on the memories is that little bit cheaper i would have thought even if that was the bin you were going with for your initial oem only sort of limited release that you could potentially do like i don't know a slightly different version of it for your aib re-release and just increase that memory spec a little bit the power target as well it seems weirdly artificially limited to 260 watts this card with that amount of cores and its overall configuration really should have a higher power target. You know, the 7900 XT is at 315 watts and the 7900 Jerry has almost the same number of cores. So why did they give it a 260 watt limit? Is that because Mm -hmm. the bin is so awful that a lot of the cards can't really do much more than 260 watts? It's just a, it's just a, bizarre launch like there was an opportunity here to make a much better $550 GPU without much effort like we're not talking about needing a new die or many significant changes to core configuration it's just raising the power limit not gimping the memory the product would actually probably be quite a lot better and certainly very very competitive with GeForce at at $550 if they had done that but for some reason they're now I guess leaving it to overclocking i don't really understand that they
0: are and they aren't so i mean look there could be technical reasons for for why they've done what they've done though sort of unclear (laughs) in some instances but yeah you say well yeah leave it to overclocking but then for me that's an even bigger issue right so if you're releasing the gre they surely have the benchmark numbers they know what we've now learned ahead of time you make it like a a a a GTX 980 Ti type situation where overclocking leads to big performance gains. If for whatever reason they want to, whether it's down to, you know, silicon quality, the likelihood of reaching those frequencies, stability, all that sort of stuff, that's fine. But if there are some models that you can push quite a bit higher and extract, you know, maybe like we saw with the 980 Ti, 20% more performance, then if that's going to be a key feature of these AIB cards and what makes the GRE a bit special, Surely you would make sure there's no bug that limits the memory overclocking to 3%, right? Yeah. And you would make it known to reviewers that, hey, this is really a card that you're going to want to overclock. We expect that most models will do quite well. They will see quite good returns when overclocked. So we don't have any weird artificial limits on overclocking. Go for it. And if it's stable, it's stable. If it's not, it's not. But yeah, a 3% limit on the overclock just seemed odd and then and again they've said it's a bug but if they address that with i think this is very amd right uh, so i'm speculating here but if they do address this bug if what if what i've been told is actually true and it's just a bug and they fix it for the next driver release and you can get you know 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent out of the memory i don't, I don't know what you're going to get but more than three and it leads to a reasonable performance uplift. It's like they just fumbled it again, right? Like if there's a if there's a 10% memory overclock to be had there or 15% without compromising stability and for the day one reviews we've been
2: limited to 3%, it's like, what? And it's even worse, right? Because this product has been available for six months. Yeah. It was in systems shipping. You tested it six months ago or something before the it was, 7800 XT. Yeah, it at was at least
0: that long ago. Yeah, yeah. It was, July
2: or August yeah, of last yeah. year. And you're telling me that only now have realized that there's an overclocking bug with this product. Mm-hmm. Like I understand with some there can be bugs and issues with hot off the fabs products, right? Like they've just manufactured this. They're just getting them out. And it's always a rush like the first gen, first product of the generation, there's issues. That's understandable. But we're talking about a product that has been available. And yeah. it, it's like there's no excuse for, for fumbling something like that around the launch of this type of product. They've had months and months to get this launch up to scratch and be ready for people to analyze it and test it. And, okay, sure, there's, you know, Maybe it's not a big deal product for them. They were sort of sitting it on the back burner because they'd only sold it in very small quantities for people. But still, like, if this product could have been better, and we're again, we're speculating that it could have been better via mm-hmm. more memory overclocking or something. Mm-hmm. If it could have been better, then again, with these products, like, there's so little interest in the GPU market at the moment. People are finding it so boring and uninteresting, and all products come out and they're like, yeah. It's another underwhelming release, right? You'd want to be doing your absolute most to make the release as interesting and exciting for buyers as possible so then people actually buy the product. Mm-hmm. And by I, AMD just misses out on this over and over and over again, which is, again, hard to fathom. And Even things like the pricing, it's $550. It offers roughly the same cost per frame as the 7800 XT, but it's not even as you point out in your review, at times it's worse cost per frame than a 7800 XT. So Mm -hmm. it's another one of those situations where even the pricing is like a little bit strange. I guess either they were expecting it to maybe perform a little bit better than it has to justify a $550 price point or it's just too similar to a 7800 XT in terms of its performance. So they're kind of stuck having like a $500 and then a $530 GPU, which like wouldn't be all that... Like it's a very odd pricing structure then. Mm -hmm. So all around another weird release, I would have said. Mm. And yeah, again, like the overclocking thing is just a, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm like struggling to get my head around it because that is not something that they should have launched it in. But again, how many times have we seen that now? Yeah, I guess we can discuss it,
0: um, well, a lot more confidently, I don't know, a week from now, a month from now when we see Know if they do fix this bug that I've been told about and what that actually ends up enabling because yeah, yeah, it could be like
2: four percent or five percent instead of three percent, in which case you're like, "Mm, (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, whatever. A bit of a dud there on the memory overclocking front. I know raising the power targets, you know, it does improve, so there is definitely some decent overclocking headroom there. I'm not saying it's amazing or something that's Mm -hmm. super unusual, but compared to what we saw with the reference card, it is certainly. A decent performance uplift but again in those instances where you're bandwidth limited then the performance is going to be pretty underwhelming because it does have less bandwidth yep. than the 7800 xt
2: so how have you found gpu launches throughout the last couple of months years or so it seems like there's been a lot of these boring uninteresting same same type gpus that are getting released and you know just Listening to how you presented the 7900 GRE review, the 4080 Super Review was another one where you just kind of rushed through the results and sort of presented it. I'm not blaming you for that. That, The product deserves that treatment. Yeah. But, like, (laughs) surely you're sick
0: of it. I didn't even think I sounded that down in the 7900 GRE review. Like, I I really didn't think that. But, yeah, quite a few people pointed it out. So maybe it is uh, getting to me more than more than i even realized uh look no secret i'm not a fan of the current generation gpus from either amd or nvidia i think compared to their previous generation stuff they're both very underwhelming Mm -hmm. um you know stuff like the rtx 4090 yeah okay that's a really impressive powerful gpu um been out for a while now though uh but you know that was good but disgustingly expensive but you know that's fine it's a halo product i guess but Sort of everything that follows that, like the 4080, $1,200, that sucked. Um, yeah, in terms of value, I, I'm being pretty blunt, but it, it did suck. Um, the 7900 XTX didn't blow me away either. The 700 XT was a joke at release. It's improved since then relative, I suppose, to what it's competing with, but, you yeah. know, hardly amazing. Uh, well, then, we, you know, we've got stuff like the 4080 Super, which are meant to be discounted, but sort of sometimes are generally not. <laughs> so that's not terribly exciting either really it's the same product with the super name attached to it and um a sometimes discount so yep. you know take that for what it is you know the ti super that sucked that was pretty boring also that was just a frustrating release that was sort of mismanaged in a few different ways like the msi cards underperforming but also mountain out of uh, you know molehill nothing burger couple of percent we were talking about didn't change anyone's opinion on the RTX, you know, 4070 Ti Super. I saw people on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, saying oh, you know, reviews using the MSI card should be ignored. So we scrambled to redo our review and it was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's awesome. I just a, a very boring product that I did not enjoy reviewing the first time. I got to do it the second time <laughs> and it was even more boring. But at least at uh, least there I was motivated to to get to the bottom of it. There was something to investigate and find out there and Yep. And I, and that was the same thing with this GRE thing. And, you know, we also had like the RX 7600 review blunder where, you know, we'd reviewed this product, we'd sunk. And I guess people listening as well, like some people, I know, I know a lot of you guys get it, but there'll be some people going, oh, privileged YouTubers, like, you know, you should enjoy your job. It's like, we love our job. And you know that's great and all, but there's only so many boring products you can be given before your job becomes boring boring right like yep. logically that makes sense i'm not going crazy am i i mean i probably am but hopefully that part of it makes sense but yeah, rx 7600 super underwhelming product um it's not something i want to present to the viewers and be like yes this is awesome it's like eh. and then i finish my video and the day of release AMD's is like great news we've got some good news for you i'm like oh okay oh, i love good news <laughs> i hop on the phone oh it's gonna be 30 dollars off i'm like hang on what Oh, we've discounted the RX 7600 from $300 to $270. Isn't that great news? Like, well, it's a a, a nothing burger. And it's also really, really frustrating news that I wish you had a given to me three days ago at minimum. So Mm. we had to scramble to redo our review, add that new cost per frame data in that changed nothing about the conclusion. So I guess there was that. But yeah, that was another pretty crappy product um, launch. Yeah, I want to get back to people say, "Oh, you know, it's not the days of the of Pascal. The GTX 1080 days are over." I'm like, "Mate, RTX 2 was good. I was pretty excited about those products. I loved what the RTX 3080 had to offer. I think that review was very positive." It I was, was, yeah. I was very excited about the previous generation GPUs for the most part. Obviously, the initial launch was great. We got the dumb Halo products, which were dumb Halo products, but that was mm-hmm. fine. And then as things went on and and, you know, the whole cryptocurrency mining boom progressed then as we filtered down to your rtx 3060s and 3050s and rx6600s those products all sucked because of the price yes the rx6600 and the 6700xt became great value a year later or whatever it was um but yeah look previous generation gpus were good i'm i'm still hopeful that the next generation of gpus will be good um, yep. if, if they're not, I may be announcing my early retirement, um, and I'll be going into <laughs> landscaping or something like that. Um, something that I guess some <laughs> enjoyment out of that. Nah, hopefully it's, um, hopefully it's a bit better, but yeah, this generation has, um, you know, it's had some, again, it's hard to talk about because it's such a nuanced discussion. Like people get some people, certain people get very triggered. If I say stuff like, you know, the RTX 4070 wasn't a bad product. And then people are like, what? You're a paid NVIDIA shield? It's only got 12 gigs of VRAM and it was $600. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I get that. It's it's a crap product relative to what we used to get. But Mm -hmm. in this new bubble that is the current generation of GPUs, it was one of the few... I don't know. What do you want to... uh, I'm, I'm scared to even give it a label for... The reaction that some people will give but basically relative to our other products it wasn't as terrible i guess
2: yeah in, in this current generation it's one of the the least bad options and compared to previous generations it's average average yeah, to, to poor i, I guess
0: and, and that's probably why i quite liked the the 4070 super because again within this current generation bubble i thought you know 20 more performance and mm-hmm. same price tag that's pretty good right It's only 12 gigabytes of vram i misspoke in a Podcast a little while ago and said it was sixteen because I got confused with the Ti Super. How's that a thing? Um, <laughs> Too so, many forty
2: seventy models. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's not my fault. <laughs> um, but yeah. anyway. It, I mean, it, I think it was something. You got something,
2: yeah, I think there's been some you know pretty unprecedented things happening in the market this time around as well. like oh, it seems like we've been talking about some weird market behaviors for quite a few GPU releases, but mm. I think that one of the dominant things that happened this generation was that once the cryptocurrency mining boom had sort of petered away, we were left with significant supply of previous generation GPUs, clearly way too many to match the demand that there was in the market at the time. So mm-hmm. what we saw across a lot of the or what we have seen across a lot of the lower tier products is that they're really not worth recommending because there's been a previous generation model, usually an RDNA 2 product, that's mm-hmm. been clearly superior and clearly worth recommending. 6600, 6650 XT, 6700 XT, even up to like your yeah, 6800 has been a really good value product at times. And before it was discontinued a couple of months ago, 6950 XT even com- competing around that five $600 price point. So because there were so many of those GPUs com- that were still available to buy, it, it really felt like a lot of these manufacturers have struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Like usually they would just be able to do whatever they want and then they sell out the old cards. It's all over. We can talk about the new generation. Whereas it seems like a lot of things like pricing and you know how many cards they make have all been influenced by this glut of products that have been released on the market like an rx 7600 was clear at least in my opinion this is again speculation but it's clearly been influenced by the availability of your 6600 xt's 6600s they could not make that card substantially cheaper than it was because all of those cards that they made way too many of are suddenly devalued and they can't like they can't shift them anymore without either i don't know maybe making a loss or making an inadequate amount of money on them so i think what we've seen a lot of is nvidia and amd making the same product again because they can't make a new product because that just destroys all these old gpus that they've they've had on the market Mm -hmm. i mean it's taken until roughly now so we're talking what 14 months on from the launch of the the first of these products we're only just now seeing cards like the 6700 XT going out of stock 6800 the 6650 XT the days on that card are numbered a lot of NVIDIA's lower tier cards are fine like 3070s have been available up until very recently Mm -hmm. and that was a card that was superseded like a long time ago I was going to say like a year ago long time ago it hasn't been worth buying for various reasons and I don't know how much of an impact that's had, but you can clearly see that the prices above where those previous gen models were available have been typically where cards have been a little more competitive and better priced. So, around that 7800 XT, 4070, 4070 Super, we're getting not anything amazing, but we're not getting like a 4060 to 8 gigabyte or a 7600 that's mm-hmm. the same as a previous generation product. So, what I'm really hoping from this generation is that NVIDIA and AMD have made stuff all of these cards, like very, very low numbers, so that by the time the next generation comes around, they can not have this situation again where there's, there's tens of thousands of models still available for people to buy. It seems that they've done a little bit of that. We, we've seen things like the 4080, 4070 Ti sort of relatively quickly, sort of, being discontinued to some degree when the new cards come in. Mm-hmm. So, I guess fingers crossed that we're not going to see in the future the abundance of products at the same price and them having to re-release the same thing because they've got effectively no choice. At least that's what I'm hoping will happen. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a little bit optimistic. Do you think that I'm being well,
0: optimistic there? What you've said is a big part of it. But I think gamers have been dealt a bit of a double whammy. So you've got the oversupply which has made the sort of mid-range, certainly the lower end of the mid-range unattractive because you mm-hmm. buy a 6700 XT or whatever. But that doesn't really explain what's happened from yeah, 40, 70 Ti, seven hundred XT and up mm-hmm. because those are more powerful products that are better. I mean, I know this part's like the 6950 XT that were discounted, but really the the, the second part of the double whammy was the the boom. So you you got the... The cryptocurrency mining boom cooling off and lowering demand which caused the problem you'd discussed but then shortly after that we got the ai boom which mm-hmm. then increased the demand particularly it seems of higher end models so mm-hmm. where there would have been i suppose less demand at the high end and that we might have got better deals there while the the low end was fighting with rdna2 that just didn't happen. It was kind of crap
2: from top to bottom. I think part of that as well is that they've used a lot of previous market factors, things being very expensive during the mining boom and whatever, to sort of basically just justify price increases that have not worked. Mm-hmm. And I think NVIDIA has sort of partially acknowledged with the re- launch of the super products, which again, at the moment are only for those high-tier products, they've mm-hmm. kind of acknowledged that, yeah, okay, a 4080 at $1,200 was not a good price for that product. And they've re-released this, as you said, said earlier, the same thing for $200 less. You know, acknowledging that the 4070 Ti was, again, not a particularly great product when they released it and really did not do gangbusters in terms of sales or anything. I think that's been another factor in terms of why those cards at the top haven't been as successful as they would have been in previous generations is that NVIDIA was an AMD because AMD just copies NVIDIA They've sort of, I guess, hedging their bets a little bit. They're sort of thinking, mm, can we get away with this? Like we've just seen people for the last three years or whatever spending ludicrous amounts of money on GPUs. With without the cryptocurrency boom, can we get away with this? We, well, well, we'll give it a try, right? We'll give it a try. There's more PC gamers than ever now. You know, people have sort of been accustomed to spending a little bit more, at least we hope so. So we'll give it a try. We'll make out, we'll make these terrible products, we'll we'll push them out, we'll see whether people are interested in them. And people have come back saying, these are the ter- these are the worst generation ever terrible these are poor value i'm not buying them so the 48 the super series has sort of been maybe a, a correction in that regard but it'll be interesting to see whether they they respond to that properly with the future generation sort of acknowledge that what they tried didn't necessarily work now mm-hmm. you know if you look at revenue for gaming graphics at nvidia and amd it's not disastrous so it's not like they went from making lots of money to making now no money because no one's interested in this, the revenues are still reasonable from those companies. Obviously, NVIDIA's you know, revenues like a cliff upwards in terms of you know, their data center demand and stuff. But for gaming, it hasn't been too bad. But usually around the launch of new generations, you'd be expecting a much more significant you know, increase in those sort of areas. So it'll be interesting. Again, it feels like we've been talking about this a lot through Q&As and different different podcast episodes and things, but I guess we've sort of come to like what I would imagine is the end now of these these releases. I probably would have said that when the 4080 Super came out because I wasn't really expecting the 7900 GRE, but yeah, not the best generation, very, very crap, very boring, I guess.
0: Yeah. And to sort of circle back to the 4080 Super, I know we were asked a question about 4080 Super pricing in our Q&A and quite a few people weren't happy with our response in our defense the q and a's were filmed like a week and a half almost two weeks before they went live Mm -hmm. and at that point in time i had checked 4080 super pricing in australia and the u.s and there seemed to be stock available and there were some models available at the msrp yeah but today you know by the time that went live they'd been largely sold out and that still seems to be true today so we're coming up to well we're basically one month four weeks out from that launch. And if you go over to Newegg, for example, there's not a single model in stock below $1,200. So they're just selling 4080 Supers at the 4080 price. So all the $1,000 MSRP cards are out of stock and have been for weeks now. Um, So that's not great. I mean, again, this isn't, it's not that unusual. Normally, well, historically, before gaming became so. Do we call it mainstream now compared to what it used to be back in like sure? The,
2: yeah, i agree.
0: Yep. The GCN days and stuff like that, um, which I admittedly is not that long ago, but you know, back then it was certainly more of a niche hobby PC gaming, whereas it's certainly become, yeah, more anyway. Uh, back then, two weeks was the minimum that you know your RX 480, 580, those kind of products would, you know, even we sort of the GTX 1060 as soon as they went on sale, basically couldn't buy one and it was two, three weeks before they were either available or available at the MSRP. So we're four weeks now with the 4080 Super. Uh, If it goes on much longer, then there's some sort of problem there that's not being addressed, whether,
2: you know. I mean, it's possible that they're just managing demand of that product. I mean, if they've seen that the 4080 has not, sold super well, at least that's our understanding, having spoken to retailers and Mm AirBees and stuff, looking into how well the 4080's gone, if they've sort of seen that that card hasn't been overly well received, then it's possible that they haven't manufactured heaps of 4080 Supers. And I think while it would be great that we would get more 4080s, 4080 Supers at $1,000, that would obviously be the ideal point. You know, you wouldn't want to see them making way too many of these again and running into the similar issues. They're probably a year, maybe under a year from now, we'll be getting the 50 series. You know, we'd be expecting a sort of early 2025. Again, that's purely based off rumors that other people have said that's not information that i'm 100 confident in or anything but i'd expect it by then for sure we'd be expecting around the start of 2025 that we'd be seeing new gpus so you wouldn't want to have this card come out you know a, maybe a year eight, 10 months ahead of time and accidentally make way too many of them and run into another issue again so mm. I, I think there would be some level of management around those sort of things Nvidia sort of returning to knowing exactly how many of these products they need to make, not just pumping out tons of them. Um, I imagine AMD is probably thinking similar things at the moment, like we can't have another situation where we've accidentally made too many of these products. So, you know, products like the 7900 GRE haven't been launched to huge amounts of fanfare. I don't know whether that's played into that discussion at all whether they've gone well you know we're sort of halfway through the generation we may may not have too many of the die configurations to make 7900 GRE so we won't go super hard on this or anything but again it sort of feels like a lot of the the GPU market has been in this once the disappointment of the generation washed over everyone which sort of took about I, I think maybe six months or so before it was clear the generation wasn't going to be super exciting we have just kind of ex- people have accepted that and it'll take a it'll take a new generation to i don't know bring things back up if it's good of course uh it's possible yeah, so, that it won't be but
0: so we're coming up to what almost a year and a half now that this generation yep. has been out for yeah so do we how much I, I know there's people screaming from the rooftops that they want a $1000 uh 4080 super which is you know perfectly understandable but if you were buying it for yourself or a close friend, would you recommend someone invest a thousand dollars, whether it's you know, a seventy nine hundred XTX or a forty, eighty super, in this generation? Because whether it's at the end of this year or early next year, we're looking at about a year, you know, yep. give or give or take a a couple of months. So that's that's a that's quite a long time. Yeah. But at the same time. If we if we do end up getting a substantial performance improvement, of a big uplift in cost per frame, which we're we're certainly not guaranteeing, but if that was the case, yeah, would you be comfortable spending a thousand dollars now on these products for what could be anywhere from eight to twelve
2: months? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think for a higher end buyer, you. <sighs> Again, it could go either way here because I, my first yeah. part of my first thing that I would think of is a higher end buyer who's willing to spend a thousand dollars probably has a card at the moment that is better relative to your typical GPU. In which case, you wouldn't be running into as many situations where currently you're unable to play the games you want to play, which is sort mm. of the threshold that I would typically use for upgrading. So whether it's maybe you can play games but you can't run at the frame rate or quality levels that you want to run at. I imagine if you've got a $1000 you're willing to spend that amount of money, your current GPU is pretty okay. I think if we were talking more of like a $500 GPU, it's probably a bit different, you might be running into situations where you know you can't play at the performance that you want. But at $1000 maybe. But then there's the other you know there's the other point of well someone that's spending $1000 be more willing to take the hit in a year from now they would just mm-hmm. upgrade in a year mm-hmm. or alternatively you know they are significantly valuing the next year of gaming they can do on their $1000 product so it's always that interesting you know higher end buyers are sort of a different target market a different class of people than you would see from the the lower lower buyers in terms of willingness to upgrade more frequently and things like that so yeah, I don't know. I I think we're approaching.
0: There's, there's, yeah, there's no right or wrong answer to this question. By the way, I was just
2: interested. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I think we're certainly approaching the point, and I think certainly by the middle of this year, so around your May, June, like Computex time, we would definitely be approaching the time when I would not be buying these products. Mm-hmm. I mean, then mm-hmm. they're not that exciting to begin with, so it's not like mm-hmm. I'd be rushing out to buy like a thousand dollar 4080 super or 7900 gre or really any of these products it's sort of more you know maybe a game will come out that i really want to play that will trigger that decision but once you start coming to that six month point mm-hmm. there's just no way i'd be buying a 4080 super I like, i'd just be waiting at that point for sure yeah yeah well, i've got a few mates that went all in like 1200 dollars,
0: what amounted to 1200 us on uh 2080 ti's for example and you know the the following generation while impressive wasn't worth the you know next generational uplift especially because the 3080 had well what was it one gig less vram or whatever and the 3090 for the most part was dumb in terms of cost per frame then we got this generation which was pretty underwhelming so they decided because not sure what it would be equal to uh, because what it's a little bit better than the 3070 well um, it's about a few yeah. With more VRAM, on, yep. depends on VRAM requirements there. So, yeah, it's pretty sort of mid tier to low mid tier for this generation. But again, yeah, it's while you would get a good performance uplift for the similar sort of money that you originally spent. I think if you've held out to this point, like if you're gonna, if you already have the twenty eighty Ti, right? This is this is the part that I always can't sort of I fixate on and can't move past. If you didn't pull the trigger. What was it like 14 months ago, whenever it was? Yeah, exactly. If, 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 if you didn't pull the trigger then and you've waited all this time to now, it's there's no point giving in now. Like, just make do and yeah, go for it's the like, next generation.
2: It's like, was this a 10, 15% improvement in value? The, the difference maker for you, I think, for a lot of people, the answer is no. And we, we went through data a couple of weeks ago from our audience on how often people are upgrading, how what's the percentage improvement people want to see from upgrading, and things like ten percent don't make a huge difference based mm-hmm. on that that information. So, yeah, twenty eight ETI owners probably waiting for the next generation of products to see what's in store, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it, again, it, a lot of these things as well are driven by the games and game availability that we're seeing throughout this year. Twenty twenty four by all reports from game journalists covering this is expected to be a weaker year for games relative to like a 2023 where we saw lots of big banger titles that you might have wanted to upgrade to like an Alan Wake or Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty or not that Avatar was a big game but you know it's um those sort of big graphical games this year it sounds like there's going to be fewer of those examples in which case then maybe you'd be willing to wait a little longer until the games that you want to play are released and require those sort of GPUs like Will a Star Wars Outlaws or a, I know they're probably thinking of an Assassin's Creed towards the end of the year, those sort of titles, do you need a 4080 Super or an expensive GPU to run those? It, it's it's hard to say, whereas by 2025, mm-hmm. you'll be upgrading, you'll be ready for the the next generation, not the next generation of games, but like another step forward in games, hopefully more games using path racing and other effects. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's sort of my my thinking about upgrading at the moment. I think it's probably a good time to, to take a break because we've been talking about boring stuff, so we'll come back and we'll talk about more boring we'll, lives. We'll up the ante. We'll up the ante for sure. Right, Steve, we're back. Give me the generator update. You talked Ooh, about the, last week yes, about it getting right. installed. Did it get
0: installed? Uh, well, I said it may not be installed by the next podcast, and I was absolutely right with that, I guess. Uh, sure. It's, should be delivered this Friday. So we're okay. filming this on Wednesday. So a couple of days. Should be delivered. It's got to be craned in and all that. And yeah, we've got a pad for it to be landed on. So that's all set up. Nice. Uh, yeah, should be here Friday. Whether that means it's fully wired in and working on Friday, probably not, but we'll see. But yeah, generator set to be delivered on Friday. So I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty keen to uh to get it and yeah go from there. So nice. I um I read a lot of feedback from people on the last podcast about what I was doing right, what I was doing wrong. <laughs> um, as you would expect, there was a whole host of varying opinions. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah,
2: like
0: I, I enjoyed the feedback.
2: Uh, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting people talking about like battery options and things like that. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know, the, I think we saw some comments of people who had gone off grid, for example, and they were doing like a full solar plus battery solution and. And it's nice if you have not overly significant power requirements like you're running a fairly typical house and you just you know maybe you work somewhere else and you come back you're in the are in your house for a short period of time but the business that we sort of run from our homes either you or me it, the power requirements get pretty high at times and makes it very difficult to power off batteries especially for a significant period of time like sure you could get a as you talked about in the previous podcast, a few power walls from Tesla, hook them up, maybe you'd get a day or so of of battery backup from those sort of systems, maybe a few days if you're lucky and manage your power well. But if you're talking about outages of weeks and things like that, a week even, then the battery solution becomes pretty difficult to, to provide that sort of power output. Um, mm. you know, we're running significant amounts of systems and test systems. These are... You know, we've, people have talked about the, how power hungry some CPUs and GPUs get. You know, if you're testing those things for, at load for 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day, just slamming those things, editing rigs, lighting, um, you, you guys have got Baylin in there as well. So that's like another system that you're powering. Mm-hmm. It becomes and very difficult to power that off a battery for days and days.
0: Well, also I have a massive 12 and a half kilowatt air conditioner, Um, yeah yeah so that sucks down many thousands of watts and as well especially when it's under full load but that that is required for my job i need to keep this at a a, it needs to be a climate controlled room for accurate data collection especially when we're doing stuff like you know cooling uh, benchmarks but also just for standard benchmarks you need to ensure that you're within a pretty tight tolerance there so you know uh, uh, this is powering my office and my house, which is essentially two relatively large houses. So my office is quite big, um, yep. and yeah, you know, as you said, there's a heap of crap in there. I have a house, you know. We want to be able to use the hot water systems. Um, I've, you know, got about six split systems. Not saying we need to use all of them necessarily, but you know, sometimes we have power outages in a forty degree, you know, heat wave. Yeah, we we could lose power for a week. Um, I mean, people have lost power at the moment. There's hot temperatures bushfires all kinds of crap going on so it gets pretty wild these days last time i lost power uh we had a top of about 10 degrees so um degrees celsius so pretty bloody cold for us in victoria
2: (laughs) uh the europeans and canadians just cringing hard at us saying 10 degrees celsius is is cold it's it's cold for us yeah
0: (laughs) myself nor my house are really built for that we rely heavily on our gigantic split systems to uh take care of that so yeah i uh, I guess um, what I tried to make clear to a couple of people in the comments is that I've done an enormous amount of research on this. It's a huge investment in terms of uh, cost. So it's not something I just did off a whim. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't just decide, oh, I'm going to spend a significant amount of money on this thing, I think. I've spent a long time researching all uh, various different options, speaking to the various different experts, and a lot of people did give honest advice on you know, the people that were providing battery solutions and stuff like that. So that was, you know, that was good. Uh, some people even suggested, you know, I'm pretty handy at the do-it-yourself stuff. Uh, the problem with that is if one of them was to explode or, you know, catch on fire, essentially what would happen in that scenario uh, and burn down my entire house and my studio and everything, uh, I would not get any insurance. So these things need to be installed by you know qualified technicians. It needs you know a grade electrician to sign off. It needs certificates. It's not even for the diesel generator. I can't just buy that thing and wire it in and she's good to go. If the diesel yeah. generator you know caught on fire and burnt a thing down again, to to have your insurance claim, you require certificates. It, it all has to be very above the board when you're doing th- this sort of stuff and. You know, we're talking about a relatively expensive property, house, and studio, so I can't afford to just uh, rebuild that the next day. <laughs> that would be quite the problem without my uh, insurance. So yeah, plus yep. the chances of a diesel generator um, exploding or catching on fire and you know, it, it is more remote. I mean, I, I'm sure the battery technology is quite good these days, but it is concerning that if something does go wrong with those, uh, that's it Dunzo. Mm-hmm. You got to just get away from it. They can't put them out, so that is a problem. I mean, you don't want one of the batteries from your power tools exploding. Remember those? No. What, what were those things called? Those, the, the, they are they, 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 uh, a heap of the knockoff ones. Burnt down tons of houses. Those like oh, uh, Segway things. What were they? Yeah, called?
2: they're like hoverboards, but they weren't a hover. Yeah. they weren't an actual hoverboard. It no, was like they were a, a
0: knockoff a, one. People like a wheeled
2: sort of battery-powered. Yeah skateboard sort of thing
0: yeah i think they were knockoff ones anyway i don't recall but man a lot of people in victoria where we live um had their houses burnt down by those because the suckers would catch on fire in their garage good luck um
2: (laughs) yeah i know you you can't put that
0: you can't get near that thing you can't put it out it's pretty dangerous so yeah, you want to treat those things with re- respect. I think if I was doing a big battery bank, I would be creating a big lead box in the middle of my backyard and then spending a huge amount of money to have some very thick power cords run up to the house. That way if the bomb detonates, it's hopefully at a safe distance. But no, in all seriousness, the, uh, the generator was the most cost-effective option. Um, and for the scenarios that we should be confronted with, it's probably the best solution. So... Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get that I- installed and up and running and, uh, hey, I'll, I'll report back my findings anyway, so it'll be an interesting experiment.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go off-grid. It'd be o- an awesome sort of thing to do, but there's unfortunately there some realities related <laughs> to doing that that make it a little bit more, more difficult.
0: Yeah, it's not easily feasible for us, and I'm certainly not looking at going off-grid. Um, while I won't be – when I'm using the generator, I'm technically not connected to the grid. But it's not a solution. I would. It's it's a, a means to end. It it's a it's an emergency countermeasure. I, I absolutely don't want to be running a gigantic diesel generator at a cost of fortune. Uh, also, not the most environmentally friendly solution either. Um, having said that, if I had batteries, I'd be charging them from a coal power plant anyway. So you know, um, and I guess you do the same if you have a Tesla vehicle. Uh, which I don't know. Did I mention this last time when the power went out? Just recently like what was it two weeks ago or whatever um all the teslas in town they had to bring in a big stinky giant generator on a trailer and they charged everyone's cars that way i think they did that uh in quite a few locations throughout gippsland so yeah people were charging their evs from a stinky diesel generator so that probably undid some of the whatever (laughs) potential good they're meant to be doing for the environment um yeah that's quite, quite funny quite funny seeing uh yeah them all lined up to uh to get charged by a diesel generator.
2: Anyway. Uh, Let's talk about some gaming as well, because I've been doing some gaming lately. I hear Mm. you've been doing a bit of gaming as well. I
0: did a little bit of gaming, yeah, something different.
2: Yeah, so I want to talk about, this is a game I played a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, It was called The Talos Principle. I've been testing The Talos Principle 2 in some games that... I know some benchmark videos that I've done on like upscaling and stuff and so I bought in a bundle I just bought the first and second game together I was playing the second one I'm like this is pretty cool I'll go back and I'll play the first one because it's like a puzzle game so you know you want, they just they hold up well pretty well it's a very fun game I definitely recommend it it's, a, it's quite a cool puzzle game that's worth playing but that's not really what I wanted to talk about what I wanted to talk about was how this game does not have TAA in it so I was playing it with four times MSAA and like for two or four times super sample anti aliasing as well. So, you know, I've got a 4090. This is really cranking my GPU to the limit. And what I found really surprising about this was that while a lot of aspects to the visuals are not, you know, up to a modern standard, the TALS Principle 1 was released a decade ago now, I think. So, a lot of the lighting effects are very much of 2014 era as opposed to more modern games. But the game is so sharp using those anti-aliasing effects, like the texture quality is not amazing, but because you're using like this super sampling technique, which has really just gone away in favor of like your TAA, DLSS, FSR, it felt like I was running the game at a much higher resolution than I was actually using because I've got a 1440p ultra as I've talked about before. And in some of those modern games, like if you're playing Alan Wake 2 or Cyberpunk with path tracing, you've turned on... DLSS and ray reconstruction and there's they're running all these temporal effects it's it's not the sharpest presentation in motion like DLSS Mm -hmm. is not the best at 1440p compared to 4k something we've talked about extensively in the past and so the game you know it looks fine there's nothing wrong with it but you what was really surprising was going back to a game from a decade ago that doesn't have this temporal technology put into it and just noticing that it just looks really sharp, really nice, not not too many artifacts as you're moving around. And yeah, it's not running at as incredible frame rate from a game released 10 years ago because I'm using crazy amounts of super sampling. But it's just, I know Digital Foundry recently did a video on this as well talking about like TAA versus older techniques. And I know there's people who are very firmly against TAA and they think it's a garbage technology. And I've always been sort of on the fence about that, like, I'm not one way or another on whether TAA is good or bad for gaming. I can certainly understand like it's a low-cost, lightweight solution. Things like DLSS, I think, are beneficial in general. But I think they do have a point about how games from that era, from a while ago, if you were able to run it using the highest anti-aliasing settings that were on offer, that they did look really good, really sharp and nice. As I said, a lot of the other effects don't hold up to modern standards, but that one aspect really kind of blew me away in some areas. It was almost like I was playing the game at 4K when I still had a 1440p monitor. So mm. firstly, I would recommend playing the Talos Principle. I'm going to get around to playing the Talos Principle 2 at some point. It's a cool puzzle game, very fun to play, lots of interesting mind-bending puzzles, recommend it. But also super sampling, bring back super sampling. Give give, give me that option again. I know you can do it in some games with resolution sliders or you know out of, outside of game driver tricks and things like that, but underrated, even though games would probably run at like 20 FPS these days with it, but underrated.
0: Yeah, they barely work
2: with upscaling, Tim. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't be getting too excited, but you know, it could be useful for your sort of lighter weight games, things, you know, multiplayer games that come out. If you really want, I mean, multiplayer, you'd probably want to run at a super high frame rate, but if there was that sort of indie title, lighter title, crank up that super sampling. Man, it works well. Yeah, well,
0: I've actually done some gaming I played Fortnite. No, no. Um, I actually decided to play something different. So cool. um, I'm sure you've heard of Helldivers 2. Yep. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, I had a couple of mates buy it, um, and as luck would have it, it was downtime for Fortnite for one of the nights. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy this Helldivers 2. Might even use it for benchmarking. Not sure about that, though. Uh, but I'll give it a crack because everyone's talking about it, and I would like to get into some other games because I don't mm-hmm. really feel like a gamer anymore because – i don't know i just i does Fortnite not count i mean traditionally i've played probably about three or four different games in rotation like you know there's been a few different at one stage it was mostly rts based games but there was like three that i was regularly playing like swapping between like you know the sort of red alert stuff and starcraft and all that And, and and i was playing a lot of call of duty back then i mean i've spent that many i've i to this day i've spent Probably three times more hours playing Call of Duty games than I have Fortnite, without with mm-hmm. that, with that question. So I oh, played a here. lot, a lot of Call of Duty back in the day, but yeah, I mostly find myself playing Fortnite now because I love just the extreme difficulty of it. The obviously PvP aspect—I I like player versus player stuff, so I'm all for that sort of multiplayer angle. Just a game that I just—I I feel like I keep getting better at, and I keep learning more efficient ways and more strategies and the build fighting and stuff like that so that's really good and fun and challenging so that's all the stuff i look for in a game and i go to other games and even when i
2: go back to call of duty now i don't know it's like uh, i thought i mainstream i don't know what the word is but like yeah i'm going to use just... the word mainstreamified it's where <laughs> yeah, that's, that's they, it There used to be like they designed a game for a core audience so you'd have Call of Duty would do their thing, and then you'd have like Battlefield will do their thing, and mm. then you'd have the other shooters would do their thing, and you'd just pick the style of game that you wanted to play. So if you wanted to play sort of a, a closer quarters, um, you know, fast-paced shooter, you'd play Call of Duty. If you wanted the more open, expansive tactical shooter, you'd play a Battlefield game. And there, there are obviously plenty of other games, but those are sort of when I was playing multiplayer, those were the two dominant shooters. Whereas now it feels like these companies have gone and they've tried to create the broadest appeal games possible to get the most plays they possibly can. So Call of Duty will offer like a bazillion different modes and you can play your Warzone, you can play your normal Call of Duty and, you know, they're constantly adding in things like, I know this is obviously a big factor in Fortnite and things, but, you know, doing all these like random events where they're bringing Mm. in, you know, pop culture references and things to the game, Back when I used to play multiplayer games more significantly, there was none of that crap in them. It was just the game. You played the game. That was it. There was no, oh, I can play as John Wick now or I can play as, you know, uh, Spider-Man or whoever in my realistic, supposedly realistic military shooter. So <laughs> so that that sort of has put me off ga- multiplayer games a little bit is sort of yeah, making, okay. it, making it bro- too broad. Like I'm kind of like you in that I enjoy a challenge with a multiplayer game. So... Fortnite has always been a bit too much of a learning curve for me, but other games where, you know, there's some tactical elements, there's different strategies you can employ, like mm-hmm. different battlefield modes have always been my sort of thing. Mm. Then over the years, they've sort of, they've kind of watered it down a little bit and they've sort of added in all these other things I'm just not interested in.
0: Yeah, I don't want to make this a Fortnite conversation, but I'm sort of setting the scene for I'm going with this. And yeah, I mean, I've the reason I do this job the reason we focus on gaming at Harbor Unbox is because I'm a gamer. I've been, I've been PC gaming now for like 30 years. Uh, I've, I've been at it from almost the start of like the, when it, when it, when it started to get pretty serious. Like, I mean, I played, you know, the DOS based command and conquer and then got to the really shiny windows version. And I've been gaming from, from there. Uh, And I said, I loved, I've played a lot of the battlefields. I didn't love the battlefields as much as I thought I would. I liked um, the star Wars battlefront games though. Um, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Uh, and then various Call of Duties I loved. Like the original Modern Warfare 2 was a big favorite of mine. There's yeah, yep. the original Call of Duty um, and probably... One Black of, Ops
2: was nice. That was my big one back in the day. There was one original Black, Black Ops, Ops
0: that I... Yeah, it might have been the original I liked, but there was definitely Black Ops games that I definitely didn't like. Mm. Um, but anywho, there's been Call of Duty games that I've thoroughly enjoyed. I struggle to go back to it now, and I'm having this problem with a lot of games... I, I don't know. I just like I tried I used to play a lot of Counter Strike. I tried Counter Strike Two, which I hadn't gone back for a long time. I just find it so unbelievably boring now. I tried Valorant as well, found that really boring. Overwatch was quite good, but you need a good team for that to enjoy that, so that can be a challenge. But I find that game, at least it, it, it sucks me and engages me, and I can throw countless mm-hmm. hours at it if you if you've got a good team to enjoy that. Again, if StarCraft two is up and running, I mean in OCE, it's basically a dead game. I, I tried playing it not that long ago and I ended up playing the same guy like four times in a row. And, you know, they have sort of updated some of the maps since I last played it, which is cool. But, you yeah, know, for me, it's kind of a dead game, not a lot going on there. So if they revived that game or there was a StarCraft 3 and a huge player base, I'd be pumping hours into that because I yep. love my RTS games. But yeah, so anyway, thought I'd give Helldivers to a, a shot and it's a co-op multiplayer game uh and you know you go in like a squad or whatever and i don't know there's a lot of hype around it people are loving it it to me it's it's a casual multiplayer game right which is i guess what yeah. co-ops largely are uh i i've played quite a I've, I've put a few hours into it not an enormous amount of time like my mates who i play it with are playing right now it's 2 p.m on a wednesday they meant to have jobs i <laughs> I, I seriously guys it's Busted. embarrassing yeah you're bums. I, I've got my discord open here and they're playing Helldivers 2 right now and some of these guys play Fortnite as well but they're addicted to Helldivers 2 as you can tell because they're probably skipping work and they'll almost certainly be homeless before long um but I can see with Helldivers 2 I can see the appeal I can see how people would get into it and enjoy it Mm-hmm. It's not the type of combat or gameplay that I enjoy. There's not. Well, it's
2: PVE, isn't it? And you were just talking about preferring PvP. So,
0: yes, that's yeah. right. There have been sort of those co-op games in the past, though, that I've thoroughly enjoyed. But then that was well before Fortnite. I'm not. I don't know. I didn't dislike it. I just didn't love it. I found myself quite bored.
2: Um, right. Well, I mean, if you're coming from a highly tactical game to a more casual game then it's going to be a bit of whiplash especially if that's not like the only game that you've played right for a while and then you, yeah you move to something pr- else and i've been mainly yeah. playing that so i
0: played hell divers 2 to level 20 at the moment i'm still playing it from time to time yeah um, as i said i've got quite a few friends that are thoroughly enjoying it and they the friends that are thoroughly enjoying it are with the much more casual fortnite players that weren't particularly great at the game they just did it more of a social thing mm-hmm. um, so i suppose it makes sense that they've really gravitated towards hell divers 2 um yeah yeah, certainly not a bad game uh probably better and more polished than i was expecting and a a few more interesting elements to it but yeah yeah not not for me like again i found myself switching off and getting pretty bored and just chatting with the guys and going through the motions and just following them around and supporting them in whatever way i could but not like yeah not i i I don't know it's it's
2: difficult to explain i've always had that with most multiplayer games, like I've always been, I don't know whether what word I would use to describe it, but it's always surprised me how long that you've been able to play games like Fortnite. And mm. previously, when you're talking about that you know, shocks me playing Starcraft to you know ultimate gold tier, whatever the hell levels there were back then, but like you know, <laughs> Let's the, <go> with that. <laughs> you play it for thousands upon thousands of hours. I have never played a game for that long ever, never, no multiplayer or single player game I've ever played for more than a few hundred hours. I just get sick of it like the, I play, like I could really enjoy playing, I don't know, let's go back to like Battlefield 4 or one of those games or Battlefield 3. Like I would have played that for a few hundred hours, really enjoyed my time. Then eventually gets to the point where I've sort of, I've tried out all the guns. I've, I've got my build locked in and loaded. I know what to do. I've leveled up to a very high level. Everything's unlocked. Then I just get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've kind of, I've seen all that there is to offer in this game. Like I'm not, I'm not the world's best player. I'm not bad at it. Like, I'm pretty good. I'm usually in the top couple of, you know, when mm-hmm. when matchmaking puts me in some reasonable lobbies, I'm at a reasonably good level. And then that's kind of satisfies me with the game. And then I'll move on to something else. And I've just found that with, with sort of more modern games, like I used to play a lot more combination of multiplayer and single-player games. It's not necessarily with mates or anything. Like, I'm perfectly fine jumping in a multiplayer game with no one and just running around and doing it with randoms. But... These days I've just found that single-player games have been capturing my attention a lot more. Like there's been a lot more really interesting and cool ideas and good gameplay in single-player games. Mm-hmm. Like I point back to like an Alan Wake 2 as an example of a really compelling, unique game. There's a lot of very interesting things that that game does. Whereas you go back to multiplayer and it's like Call of Duty clone version 200 with now with Battle Pass and skins. And like you open up Call of Duty to ben- like... I open up for benchmarking these days. You open it up and I get like 20 splash screens of like, we've just added in this mm-hmm. thing and that thing and the battle pass and now you've got your points and something and you've got to like allocate your points to something to unlock things and, you know, this is our roadmap for and It's like, Sigh. I just see that and I just I switch off immediately. I'm like, nah, I'll just go back to playing my puzzle game that I was enjoying previously or just recently I played the the DLC for Resident Evil 4, which was like five hours long, pretty good experience, enjoyed that, and I'll just move on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess as time has gone on, I've become more of a single-player gamer. But I think if there was like, I don't know, like a really compelling Battlefield game or just something different like that that was, again, Helldivers 2 doesn't interest me because it's PvE, but if there was like a PvP interesting tactical battlefield style game that doesn't go crazy with the battle pass stuff and the the skins and all that crap. You could probably get me back interested. Like star if there was a Star Wars Battlefront 3, 100% I'd play it. 100%. Yeah I'd give that a crack
0: as well. Um yeah. yeah I mean obviously come at gaming very differently. Like I don't game at all by myself. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. I've never really solo gamed at all. I find it very boring and not engaging or exciting. I really like to play with mates and in a team if that's you know an option, like in Fortnite or whatever. So that's, that's sort of how I approach gaming there. And games like StarCraft, uh, I guess the reason why I was able to play that for quite a few years is that it's a very steep learning curve. Like it's a very difficult game. It's extremely difficult and there's so many different strategies. But you do get to the point where, it does in some ways get a bit repetitive but yeah i don't think that was what caused me to stop playing it was more just the fact that it was difficult to get games and there was probably not as many map updates and maybe even new units added though the new units added and the balancing thing takes quite a while to sort out whereas Fortnite, they just throw stuff at the wall and some stuff sticks and some doesn't but yeah yeah i uh, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult one, um, but I guess that's the great thing about gaming. There's so many different options that you'll find a style and stuff that suits you.
2: Yeah, that's right. There's no shortage of games for me to play. Like, I'm not sitting around mm-hmm. twiddling my thumbs being like, oh, I wish there was like a, a new Battlefield or Battlefront game that I could really enjoy. It's like, I don't care. I've got like a, a big backlog of things to play and enjoy. And
0: Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's sort of for me um, – yeah, you know, as I said I still thoroughly enjoy playing Fortnite. I think they're doing a great job of keeping the game fresh and updated and I've still got plenty of friends that enjoy playing and have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, I keep going to other games to try and find like a an alternate game that I can jump in and sometimes enjoy. But yeah, I've been struggling to find that. Um just yeah, there's I don't know, I think like Fortnite's
2: actually ruined me for gaming. <laughs> like, well, possibly. possibly I, I think but... it actually has. Yeah, I think we've seen, you know, a lot of game companies as well have struggled to make like multiplayer games that capture a wide audience. Like Helldive Mm. has sort of come out of nowhere as sort of uh, one of the more success stories, but there's been plenty of games where they sort of, I guess, don't make a particularly innovative or interesting game to capture people who are big Fortnite players or big Counter-Strike players or big Overwatch players, although Overwatch has sort of apparently gone downhill from what I understand since they released Overwatch 2 a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah... obviously game companies are struggling with that and i think for a lot of players they're sort of in those positions as well where there's there's quite a few big established franchises now like Fortnite Call of Duty Warzone and you know de- even Destiny is sort of a, a different style of game that those players just play those games and there's mm-hmm. they're being updated enough they're doing a really good job with the live service stuff to keep putting in content into those games that they're just you're just satisfied playing those sort of things there's nothing wrong with that but it makes it harder for you know new ideas to sort of come in and start you know taking people away interesting people into other things so i think mm-hmm. hell divers 2 has done a pretty good job of attracting a fair chunk of people to play it, it will be interesting to see how it goes long term yeah, um, it, it's, yeah.
0: Def, it's definitely a good quality game um i had the odd crash here and there and there's a few obviously teething issues and, and server load problems and stuff like that but yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely can be a fun game um it's like I could never be a game reviewer. I always find game reviewers <laughs> weird. You've obviously got to like review your genre of games because like yeah, for sure. being a game reviewer is just way too diverse. It's like what what games are you reviewing? Um, but yeah, if, if it's the style of game you're into, which is obviously step one, then I think it's a game you will thoroughly enjoy because I think it's quite well put together. I think the progression system is quite good. There's plenty of interesting things to unlock. You can work quite well together with your team um and there was definitely some fun funny moments but it was just there wasn't enough there to sort of I'm not even sure what it is that I'm trying to say or convey it's just there wasn't that thing that hooks me and I'm like oh my god I have to I I, I can't go to bed I want to get to this next bit or I want to you know I, yeah I'm, for sure yeah
2: so anyway yeah, I mean, for, for me, that's sort of more like a you know, like a seven out of ten game versus like a nine out of ten game. Mm, like there's some yeah. games that I that I enjoy, I think are, are good, but I play like single player games, but I could only play them for like a couple of hours at a time, and I'm like, okay, that's enough, and I'll I'll bring it up again the next day. But then there'll be some games where I'm like, man, I could play this for like six hours in a row easily. Because it's it's that compelling. It just depends on the sort of games, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to enjoy the seven out of ten game. It might still be like a good yeah. game that I, I thought was fun, but it just isn't like the top echelon of games that I've played recently. So it yeah, happens. I,
0: I guess I'm worried. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I'm becoming a boring <laughs> old person, or if just because the games aren't like what they used to be. Like for me, I I wanna believe it's not the old person thing. Mm-hmm. And I wanna believe it's I've sort of seen it all.
2: I like, think there's part of that, right? Like when you're a young kid, you play like Call of Duty for the first time, like, man, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, this is but crazy. Even,
0: even the you know, and then they add like a jetpack to another Call of Duty. It's like, whoa, whole new game. Um yep. but I remember like, you know, the Sim Cities and then the yep. the Command and Conquers and the StarCrafts and all those games just completely captivated me and I couldn't put them down. Like I just mm-hmm. that's all I thought about. I went to bed thinking about them. I woke up thinking about these games. And there were a lot of games back then that were like that. And it, even there was some single player games like, you know, car racing type games and things like that. Um, more recently, like a weird game was like the original The Crew. I don't know. That's just oh, a right. weird one. Yep. But I yep. actually actually enjoyed that game. I played it a fair bit with Matt as well because you could like join together and stuff. Oh, bit yeah. of a random game, but I actually thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm not sure what it was about that. I guess it was just, Yeah. It's not like a serious car game or anything. That was a long time ago though now, probably 10 years ago when that came out. Something so. like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, there was, just, there was there was no shortage of games that just captivated me and I just loved. And it. now it's like, oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's another spam shooter. Uh, that's another one of those. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. This feels like a game I've played for 10,000 hours. I don't know,
2: just, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think that's... That's a struggle that game developers, as I said, are sort of coming to terms with now. The, mm-hmm. the more time passes and, you know, the more years of gaming that there are, it's harder to make interesting, unique ideas because it's likely that someone has made that idea before. Mm-hmm. And as I said, with sort of these big established live service games, there's a there's a lot of genres that are sort of occupied by a game that if you wanted to play that, there is that game already there for you to play. So it makes it a bit more difficult to Come up with interesting and unique ideas. I guess with single-player games, a lot of the, the things are story-driven, so mm-hmm. you can sort of—you don't necessarily have to rely on unique gameplay to take, make a game successful. You can pair that with some interesting story elements. Like Alan Wake Two is not a mechanically mm-hmm. unique game, really. It, it just does pretty typical single-player game stuff, but the way story is put together makes it extremely unique. So, yeah. Anyway, that's probably enough about our gaming lives for the moment. I'm. We'll be back playing some more games to talk about in in future podcasts and things like that. But that's probably going to do it for episode 23 of the Hardware Unboxed podcast. So audio versions, we've got those. Video versions where you can see us for some reason if you really want that. They're available. And we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening.